Hello, dear listeners. I hope you have uh, walked out of the building tonight and picked up your copy of Playboy magazine. We have taken the liberty of ordering you a Pitt's glorious steak. Um, yes, welcome to the next edition of the Odd Job Pod, um, where, well, if you've been listening for the last few episodes, you'll know that we have been doing the Conneries. And um, there's obviously been one notable omission in the uh, sequential of Bond films, which we felt deserved its own standalone pod, because it is its own standalone film, obviously. And we are talking about On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And uh, to join me with a bit of alpine frolicking is uh, Terry DeFellon and Graham Sibley. Good evening, gentlemen. How are we? Very well, thank you, Gary. I'm experiencing a little stiffness in the shoulder due to the altitude, no doubt, Gary. Yes, well, you are a very poor traveller, I think it has to be said. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel excuse me for a moment? I just have to, uh, my pipe knockout. (laughs) Uh, There is, I think... It's fair to say we are going to enjoy this one. We've obviously talked about um, the last few films with Sean Connery, where there were varying degrees of, um, I, I, shall we say, interesting approaches to, to Bond. I think we've ended up liking Diamonds Are Forever potentially a little more than we were going to. But I somehow have a feeling that there is going to be very little changing of opinion on, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which... Um, well, let's get into it with an interesting question first off, Graham. In so far as this was actually a pretty commercially successful film, but it took quite a long time before it really started to gain a bit of, of critical momentum. Um, and I guess you kind of see when you've got this film with a new Bond that follows You Only Live Twice. I think, you, I don't know about you, but I can certainly see why some audiences might have gone... Mm, well, this isn't quite what I signed up for when I went to watch this. No, you're right. Uh, I think history is, has been more than kind to, 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 to this film. It, it's actually treated it with the respect it deserves. It's a really, really good film. But you can also see how, of the time, it, it, would have, it wouldn't have sat right. But also, as well, it would have been an easy watch, uh, I would imagine, because A, because it's a good film. And B, because we're at the end of the 60s. Every other film was a Bond ripoff. And they were enjoyable or not enjoyable, each to their own merits. Um, so I think that if you're going along and seeing another a, a, a another uh, spy film, then this is going to sit well anyway. The fact that it's a Bond film and it's got pretty much all the, the right ingredients for a Bond film makes it even better it's not it's not trying to pass itself off as a bond film it is a bond film but because everything the the main ingredients are different i.e the star and the director although he has been involved in all the other films then you you get this pretty much unique bond film and that's why it's also so very special because it's so rare and it is unique and it is if any Bond fan doesn't have uh, this in their top three, they've really got to be worrying about why they're a Bond fan. I think <laughs> they really, they really, you, you really got to think. Well, you, what are you doing here? <laughs> yes, I question your life choices on, on that one. Uh, I mean, 
like yeah, there, we know there are some people who will have put uh, put Diamonds of Forever in their top three, and and they're entire entirely entitled to that. Is is their their prerogative? Um, we may think that they are wrong, but it is their prerogative. But if they put Diamonds of Forever in their top three above on Her Majesty's Secret Service, then um, God help us all. There, there is. I'm sorry. There is no helping you in that point. Um, and then that is my humble, considered hot take, and it is a hill that I will willingly die on. For this one um terry it is i it is a very familiar as graham said there are many elements and this is a a spy movie and yet also from the very outset of on her majesty's secret service it's quite clear that there is um should we say an attempt to certainly do something different from um you only live twice and there's also an attempt to probably reassure people that they're watching bond but also have a little bit of fun with it as well yeah the movie it makes it abundantly clear from the outset that it's a james bond film doesn't it john barry um it is clearly briefed to to chuck in as much of the of the james bond theme as you possibly can particularly in those opening few minutes of the of the film um because yes they knew that there was they were going to do something that had never been done before and that is change the actor for James Bond and the there's a certain degree of audacity in that decision thinking you know this is not a character that belongs to a single actor and we're going to change the actor in order to carry on because you know we're making some stacks of money out of this franchise and we're just going to keep doing it so it was a bold move and it was even bolder to cast George Lazenby perhaps we'll talk about that later perhaps not um, so yeah, they they made certain that the first few seconds of that movie was were unquestionably a James Bond movie. You know, you got the James Bond theme, you got the the Aston Martin. You know, uh, you've you've got that that kind of Goldfingery trope of uh, the glamorous blonde overtaking James Bond in a in a in an open top car. You know, it, it it's you know it it, it interestingly uh, they did a similar similar approach actually for GoldenEye for Pierce Brosnan's first Bond film didn't they it's sort of yep. uh, that's a that's a that's a nice trope that they try but and clearly stating you know this guy is James Bond and you know and then they had a they had the lovely fourth wall which I like I mean fourth wall stuff can be can be really really bad but I thought that they they played that really really well um, and I thought it was an interesting nod and an interesting concession to the audience because I suggest to you that a lot of people actually might have turned up and still been quite shocked to see that it wasn't Sean Connery. Because a lot of people just, certainly in 1969, news didn't travel around as quickly as it does now. And it did subsequently. And it's not out of the question that people could have turned up and, and not been entirely sure what was happening and been surprised and it was certainly played like that you know the big reveal you know uh, at a certain point you know was was during during that cold open was dramatic to sort of like you know unveil um the new bond um and it's a it's a it's a really enjoyable cold open scene as well because we were introduced to diana rig i mean it also foreshadows there's the emotional depth of the movie which previously <laughs> james bond movies weren't there didn't have a much emotional depth and this one was going to have emotional depth because you know you know she's attempting suicide right from the um, right from the outset of the movie 
Um, and while it's not necessarily treated with the same kind of gravitas, there's a little bit of humour in that scene. It's 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 serious stuff, and 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 you know, good foreshadowing as to what's to come. Yeah, it's. I mean, there's so many bits to to kind of pick up on there. And before I think we we go into so many of the elements that you've touched on. I mean, obviously we can can talk about the fact that um, clearly the even the producers were a little bit nervous, given that Lazenby didn't necessarily appear in too much of the marketing material either. Um, certainly in the in the outset for that film. But um, Graham, I think like this is. Um, definitely, as you have put it, it is a spy movie. It sits very much within its time. It, 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 you know, you look at that film and you would be hard to place it in any other time other than the 60s, yet it, it's aged well. Um, rather than let go in onto the Lazenby angle, let's go in from a slightly different place and go, how much of this is down to Peter Hunt, the director, who who is, um, yeah, as as we said, is uh, is somebody who has been in the franchise for for a while now. Um, has been promising, promised an acting gig, and yet seems to have a very singular and single minded approach to what he wants to do with this particular Bond. You can see this is something that he's always wanted to do because he throws everything at this film, and as <clears> well <throat> for a first film. What what actually astounds me when 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 I look at it is how much he lets the rest of his team do what they do when you think about the second unit stuff in this especially the ski the ski sequences that none of this is directed by him this is him just letting them go and and doing their own thing but he really does have a, a really good understanding of of the character and the feel of these bond films you can tell he's been completely immersed in it for the last decade and and obviously now, given his chance to to do his Bond film, he comes up with something, as I said, unique. He comes up with something that that hasn't been done since, and, and certainly wasn't done before. So for me, it, it's it, it's good that this has uh, an individual Bond. Uh, it has a Bond that hasn't been in any other films. There's we've we've spoken before in in past uh, podcasts about how. Uh, the, the the strength of the relationship between the actors and the and the directors that they have with Connery, he worked so well with Terence Young, and and Peter Hunt uh, has gone on record saying that he he modelled his directing style completely on Terence Young, uh, but with Terence Young and Guy Guy Hamilton, like really giving that that foundation for the franchise. But by the time you get to Brosnan, Brosnan had did four films, four different directors, and it really is sort of quite sort of telling about how sort of lost that period is in the whole franchise, about how it sort of loses direction a bit and doesn't really have have much to say, let alone being obviously in the time the that the period of post cold cold war and pre nine eleven. So there's all manner to unpack there. Um but Peter Hunt just does such a good job on this film. And and I think it's because he he's been the one that has been stitching the previous films together. He knows where all the problems lie. He knows where where all the issues uh, are, are gonna come up. And so he just and that's why he puts together a film that's so good. There are things in it that maybe do do just sort of stick with it. Well, you know, you you wouldn't get away with that that stuff now. Like the whole thing of of um 
dubbing out your main actor for a large portion of the film uh, is is one thing. But there there are some beautiful things uh, scenes in there. Uh, well, there there are some absolutely stunning. Uh, there's some absolutely stunning cinematography in there for for one for for one one thing. And so the uh, uh, that that that's also got, got a, another bonus on here. But I think there are there are elements of of scenes that he uses. He 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 shoots great crowd scenes, um, and really gets that sort of feeling of being amongst a crowd, uh, which which is really something. You know, Bond would move effortlessly between a crowd. A crowd was something that was happening behind him. With with Hunt, he's moving through a crowd. There there are people moving. I'm I'm thinking like at the ice rink and and things like that, and and at the ski at the ski resort as well. And these are all things you mm. see throughout the franchise. So much of this is seen is repeated again and again and again throughout the franchise. It's it it is it's such a turning point for 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 everything really. Yeah, and and as um, Terry, you said that there is a, a level of humanity that's present in this film, which is is perhaps not always apparent elsewhere. James Bond is not necessarily um, a character that is particularly famed for. Um, his emotional depth and um, even with the, the actor-director relationship obviously um, Hunt famously did not speak much to George Lazenby um, on the set at all um, the relationship must have been certainly quite interesting but yet Terry he gets what is almost certainly one of the most human performances of Bond I would say albeit from even a non-actor and when you talk about that ice rink scene that scene where Bond sits down on the bench and probably for the first and maybe one of the only times in the franchise looks so lost and vulnerable. And that's almost one small little scene, which to me encapsulates the whole of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. It just gives us such a different bond than we've ever seen and, and we don't often see again. Yeah, absolutely. It's really rare to see Bond out on the ragged edge in the way that he was in the escape from Pitt's Gloria. Um, I mean, he's had to strain every single sinew to get out of, uh, get out of there and to successfully escape. And he'd got as far as, uh, as, as the village down at the, uh, down at the bottom and, and was still wasn't safe because he's up against Spectre. He's up against Blofeld and they have people everywhere. Very Fleming, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think that this is the, there's a broader point about the authenticity of the, of, of, of the film in general, because it's, it's so close to the Fleming novel and it's, well, this is a a subjective point, but I suspect it's probably one of Fleming's most celebrated Bond novels uh, and probably among his best. Um, And certainly in my opinion, it is anyway. Um, But yeah, the, 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 the idea of him being frightened is not something that you see with Bond. And you get this through the film, you know, this confrontation with M earlier in the movie where he's unhappy to have been relieved from Operation Bedlam and, 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 and quits, you know, loses his temper and quits. Um, and, and then in here when, when, he's, when he's on the run and like previous James Bonds and indeed subsequent James Bonds usually are able to manage this, these situations differently. They, they, they tend to be a little bit more effortless. And Graham, when he's referring to the crowd scene outside the ice rink, um, I mean, if you think back a few movies before, a couple of movies before, think back to Thunderball and think about the crowd scene chase in Thunderball and its character is very, very different. There's almost no suspense in that 
in that chase sequence, whereas in the in that chase in uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, it's very different. It's directed very differently. It's edited very differently, and the sound is very different because you've got that really sort of like um, bubblegummy Christmas song that John Barry did in the background, and the flash photography and the 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 the, 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 the whatever that bear was, that guy in the bear costume with that laugh. I mean, I mean, horrific. I mean, just like you know, lapsing into horror. Um, something out of a Roald Dahl thing. I mean, and 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 it, it's it it just again. This is a word I'm going to use quite a lot. It adds to the depth of this movie that isn't present in other Bond films, in my opinion, um, which makes it, which does make it one of the things that makes it stands out or makes it so different. The other, I think, being the Peter Hunt's not his edit. Well, his editing because it was John Glenn who edited it. But you know the it. it He's clearly made a mark on this movie with the editing of this movie and the sequ- and the shortening of the sequences of almost all of the suspense moments in these movies have, have all been... He messes about with time in a way to make it still inject genuine suspense. And the thing about By James Bond is they're fun action movies, but there isn't always a tremendous amount of suspense in them because it's James Bond, right? So, I mean, how much, how frightened can you be? But you get this in this movie and you still even feel it and it resonates to, to this day, or, although that just could be just my affection for the movie. But it is down, I think, to the just to the craft, the filmmaking. It's a, and, and, and it's what makes it a superior film, almost a grown up film in some ways. Mm, I mean, Graham, you one of the most suspenseful um, moments in the entire film involves a photocopier. <laughs> you know, credit to Peter Hunt that if you can shoot a sequence with a photocopier and have the audience on the edge of your seat, I would say that you're probably pretty good. Try and pull that one off, Sam Mendes. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I think the, this is I, we, we, we could. We could just spend this whole of, the, uh, of this podcast just picking out individual scenes that we love, and, and okay, and they, <laughs> oh, okay, let's do that, <laughs> and just and and just just think. Well, yeah, I, I just I just love the way that they they do this, and you know, and mm. and saying that you won't see this in another Bond film because obviously a lot of the time you won't. And and I think this is there is a certain element to this. I, I think uh, I, Terry is probably better to talk on this one than me. But the the fact that I think that because it's a new Bond, it's a lot of the people who are there who are involved a long way all the way through suddenly have something else to play with. Something they they uh, and I think John Barry is is doing this as well. I mean, John Barry is evolving all the way through the franchise. I mean, although he does he does have a lot of the same mu- musical cues throughout, but every time there is something new and and oftentimes you you hear stuff that he's done in other films coming into the Bond franchise, which which I love. Uh but uh, uh, the also he 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 really goes to town on this. This is one of his best. This really is. It's one of his best soundtracks, full stop. Yeah. I mean, I've not heard them all, but I reckon I've heard most of John Barry's work, published work. And I, I and, and for me, it's one of his best soundtracks, full stop. It's so rich and there's so much suspense. He knew what was going to happen in the end of the movie, obviously. And so he added some additional bass uh, into the soundtrack to give it, that extra little bit of gravitas because it, and, a, and a ever so slightly sombre tone which fills out 
the, the, the score. And he uses electronic music as well, he uses electronic instruments as well, which he hadn't done before. The music in that Gebruder Gumbel scene, which I mean for me is one of the great standout scenes of any James Bond films because it's so simple. It's a simple, nice, noirish spy thriller thing to happen. And it's executed beautifully. And everything about that scene I absolutely adore. I adore the music. I love Gumbold's office. I love the fact that the guy's got a copy of these sites and he's got some Playboy stuffed in the, in the middle of it. <laughs> I mean, I, and, and I love the fact that, yeah, even though, <laughs> even though at the end of the movie he's using a little miniature camera to take pictures of the map, uh, and <laughs> so which he could conceivably have used when he broke into there instead of a photocopier, and even though in the previous movie he had like a safe cracking device in his pocket, no, we're going to have Draco Construction send over. <laughs> a massive case and it but it, but the thing is I mean like we don't care because it's James Bond and it's anthology and who cares but I mean it's it, it it's it's absolutely superbly put together and the editing is just perfectly illustrates my point about Peter Hunt and about how he how he se- shortens the sequences and, and plays around with time so that we've got like Gumball you know on his on the lift up and George is still feeding the photocopying machine and yet somehow manages to just walk out of there. And it's just, it's, it's, it's comfortably one of my favorite scenes in, 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 in the James Bond franchise. I absolutely love it and can watch it over and over again. Yeah, it's it's just one of those bits which, and and again, as Graham said, we could spend the entire podcast picking out scenes here and there which are just just gloriously done. It, it's certainly as if Peter Hunt took a look at the underwater sequences in Thunderball and went, none more of that, no more of that. No, we've got snow in this one, and the snow is going to come back every other bloody film from now on, isn't mm. it? <laughs> but there is the legacy though isn't there Graham guys I mean I mean like this does the ski chase is obviously yeah. iconic because oh, God, it's, yeah. it's so bold it's beautifully executed again yeah it's all second unit stuff as you say yeah um but it's edited by John Glenn and, and remembering that John Glenn was a second unit guy on Spy Who Loved Me and did all the all the all the ski stuff for for Spy Who Loved Me and of course John Glenn became yeah you know gotta be one of the best one of the best James Bond directors. I don't think that's a controversial statement to make, is it? So, you know, there is, there's legacy here in this movie that although creatively it it doesn't take the direction that it could have taken in terms of technical and production, there's, there's significant legacy to this movie. Um, And that's, and that's good because, because, you know, these guys, They've been making this is what it, it's they were talking This is the sixth movie that they made, <laughs> right? Right, and by this point, they're at the peak of their powers, right? Probably as a group, as a production unit, they know this franchise backwards, and and yet spurred on by the fact that they've got a new bond, so they've probably got to put in some extra work to make it work. They have produced an absolute masterpiece a technical masterpiece the only thing that's probably you could say on a technical level that's missing from this movie is the inevitable under cranking when it comes to car chases which of which there's little but it's there um and yes there's some adr choices that probably yeah wouldn't wouldn't pass muster these there's not and we're not just talking about george baker we're talking about in general there's a few adr things but minor quibbles in there and then i'd also like to to pick up as well because 
you know, Bond, um, you know, it's the definite, I, I would agree that peak of their powers, I think you see one peak in Goldfinger, then, you know, there's a little bit of unevenness and that's, that's partly to do with um, probably where Connery's head was starting to move towards. But um, yeah, one of the other choices, Graham, that I think is beyond reproaches, just absolutely fantastic is when you look at the casting overall and I want to take a little bit of time with with both of you just talk about specifically the casting of Diana Rigg because I think this is as much her film as it is George Lazenby's film. Well, totally. I mean, she she dominates the screen in every scene that she's in. Uh, she um, there's a lot been said about how difficult um, Lazenby was to work with, um, but I think when you've actually got someone who uh, was so brought uh, so adopted by by the, the 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 crew and the rest of the cast like Dinah Rigg. Dinah Rigg who knew how to how to to do this turn up be excellent and then and then carry the film off obviously she knows that she's got to make him look good and she does she, there's no doubt about it this is a guy who can't act and she says right okay i can work with that and that's the, the 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 beauty of this film it's full of great actors who don't give a crap that he is useless and it, and, and basically they 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 said well fine okay we i can work with that you get people like you've got diner diner is brilliant tally savalas is fantastic uh you've got uh elsa uh elsa stepper as well and she's brilliant as well. And the scenes that that, that she's in with 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 with, Le- with Lazenby, I think, are, are brilliant as well. The the, the 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 even even those ones where where you you're talking about like not even like like the the second string of actors. This is this is like the third level, but she elevates it up anyway. But Diana Rigg is brilliant. I don't I don't um, it, it, yeah that scene that you were talking about Gary that where 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 he is beaten and he is lost and, and in the crowd and then he looks up and sees her that's 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 iconic isn't it that's that's just that's that's like you you see that in 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 all of the the clip montages that they ever do of Bond doesn't it it's that's the, whenever they they think oh we need we need a bit of George Lazenby well do that one yeah get that bit in there that, that, that that's what you need there <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we also like, I know that when we talked about Goldfinger on the pod, we obviously talked about actually in Honor Blackman, you had um, at least a Bond girl, um, certainly not in name, but in, in character, who was start was a little bit more independent and, and had moved on a little bit. Terry, for this one, there is, I mean, again, this is, I think, is one of the most interesting things when you look at the Bond franchise as a whole. Again, not exactly known for its. Um, treatment of of women in a particularly positive light and also not exactly known for adding much in the way of emotional depth to it to the characters i mean from the first moment you meet diana rick to the last there is so much emotional depth she she doesn't just bring a great acting game to there she actually gives you a well-rounded three-dimensional character who is equal if not better than bond in so many ways but with her own damaged element into it it's it, it, to me, and she stands probably almost alone as as as, as a, a Bond girl. She is not a Bond girl. She is a she's she's something quite different from that. She is a proper actor doing proper acting, and just has you hooked in from the moment that you start watching. Yeah, she's a co-star in the movie. 
Um, and she she appears she is she's there at the at the very beginning of the film, and a lot of Bond girls tend not to rock up until a little bit later in the movie, and she's there at the end. She's a pivotal part of the film. She's essential to the movie's continuation. Um, she's essential to the movie's plot, and she's essential to the movie's existence and the reason why it, why it's good. It the the film is 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 in large part about her, um, and it's it, it's um and of course because it's a it's it's at heart a love story as well, which again not something that we we're used to with James Bond, you know, experiencing love. Sex is one thing, but 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 love and commitment, um, and a romance. It's a romantic story, and I mean I think I'm I mean I'm not as unkind towards George Lazenby's acting skills as Graham is, um, but there is no question that he was he was very very inexperienced, um, and benefited hugely from the professionalism, I think, from the, of, of, the, of the cast that was around him. And I would say probably from the production staff as well, who probably had to look after him. And I think an awful lot of the stories about him being difficult to work with were partly because of his inexperience, but also I think there was a lot of stuff that was said because because Eon were pretty unhappy with him for quitting. Um, and and maybe maybe sort of like there was a bit of bad feeling that spilled over. Uh, in the aftermath of the movie. Um, but anyway, that that aside, I mean, I th- I think if you if you think about again the ice rink scene, which is iconic, the beach scene at the start, which you know, the, and again, that Peter Hunt does like did like to photograph her and pan upwards, so from her ankles all the way up to up, so we got to get a good look at her legs. It's very nice. She kicks her heels off and heads into the beach. I mean, the barnyard scene as well. Is a is 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 a great scene, which is where I would perhaps take issue with 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 Lazenby's acting chops. I know other actors would have done better. Maybe we can talk about that. Um, but I mean, the, the the character, just very briefly, the character, yeah, hugely full of her own agency, but at the same time, massively dependent on James Bond as well. Yeah, still has that you know massive, but it, it, you know rather than it being like I need James to rescue me from a burning lift shaft, she says I need to James to rescue my soul to stop me from from walking off the cliff myself, you know, um, and it's a, it's a there's a different kind of dependence, and it's more interesting, um, and and it's it's much much fuller, and it's one of the reasons why this is a superior film. Oh, totally. I mean, the the, the thing is, what she really carries off is. Is the whole feeling that, but for for an accident of birth, if James Bond had been born a girl, he would be her. That's mm. that's that's what that that's the sort of life he'd be living. That's that's the 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 sort of um, car crash of a of an existence that he would have. That uh, and and he would be in that that situation, and that's what he brings across. That's. He could have been the guy. He could have been the 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 first husband in the Maserati who killed himself in the Maserati, <laughs> and that could easily have happened because Bond obviously would, yeah. was brought up, um, went to a public school. He had rich parents. Who he's he's an orphan. He would have been damaged good if he hadn't have been picked up by the service yeah. at an early age. Then he could well have got into that kind of jet set, and who knows? May would have ended up being you know the kind of guy that Tracy they would they could have crossed paths, but in a much more destructive and far less interesting way. Um, you know, had had things been different, if you think if you're thinking about counterfactuals and backstories and stuff like that. Well, it's, it's so more, yes, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's it's more of the fact that that, that if he'd been a girl, he would be her. Yeah, wouldn't he? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that, that too, that too. Yeah. yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, 
and he could have just as easily ended up being somebody like Draco, who is, um, <laughs> again, like, I, I love that character in that. Obviously, you've got the dubbing in there. but And, and Graham, this is something. I mean, when you look at kind of where Automatic Secret Service differs and where it kind of sets out other things, one of the things I really love about Bond films, um, and there's a slight diversion here, is when they get the Kering Bay character absolutely spot yeah. on. Yeah, and Draco yeah, is yeah, that yeah. Karen. I mean, Karen yeah. Bay set the tone for it. Yeah. And when you, you suddenly go, ah, that's the Karen Bay, Always a big you tick. know you've got a good yeah. film. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's to totally. That's a massive tick. It, 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 you think, oh, great. Yes, we've got a Karen Bay here. Um, which... It was in 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 latter day films. It's it's where it's where Mathis where you can see where they were going, but you think I d I don't know. Can we do this anymore? It's not really doing it. You, you can't really get away with that that sort of like because really what you want them to be is proper evil. You need you need them to have that little edge of that someone that actually no you 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 you're actually not a nice person are you? But hey, you're <laughs> you're a good laugh and like Bond seems to like you, so <laughs> you know, you're all right with me then. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. It's it's a so much charisma. Huh? So much charisma yeah, from exactly. uh, Gabrielle Fazetti and, and Mark Ange is an absolutely wonderful character. Yeah, the, the the dubbing's a bit of a shame, although I I do quite like his I like I like his voice. It's quite quite good. But the introduction scene's great. But the, the that, yeah, that kind of lovable rogue kind of thing, and it, it's just it illustrates just the kind of world that James Bond lives in. That when he when he goes on the holiday, <laughs> he ends up falling in with villains. Because, I mean, like, he's a killer, he's a murderer, you know, and he's an assassin. You know, he works for the good guys, technically. <laughs> he, works for the, he works for the people who are portrayed in the movie as good guys. <laughs> I mean, he works for the British government, so you can argue all you like about how good they are. But, you know, um, he, 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 but, but he's the kind of guy who ends up falling in <laughs> with villains and becoming mates with villains. You know, you know, James Bond is probably the kind of fellow who would, who would happily, you know, drink and share share bread with 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 arms dealers and and but think but see Mark Arms and think also um, Columbo. Yeah, from for your yeah, eyes. Yeah, I was just about to say the you same. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Karen Bay, who obviously is works yeah. here, but I mean, he's clearly a he's clearly a gangster. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he works for the British on the side, but he's obviously a gangster. You know. Um, and it's and it's a brilliant tradition in James Bond films, um, and it's a shame that we don't really have that kind of that kind of role of like you know, um, older mentor ally kind of thing is almost becoming M's role in those Craig movies. I don't know whether or not that's a thing we'll we'll see, but uh, it's I don't think it's quite the vibe we're looking for when when we want those kind of characters. They need to be bad guys, I think, as Graham says got M. You've also got M, who has clearly got that indication that he would be happy to as well with that lovely little bit at the end of the wedding where um, Draco and M are just going off and he's like, yes, you cost me two of my best men. Ah, the bullion job, 1964. And you're like, oh, hang on. I remember the bullion job in 1964. You got away with quite a large chunk of the horse. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 so good and there's so many bits of the brilliant in this and and graham i know that um you have you obviously have were uh, as, as terry said um probably a little bit more critical of lazenby's acting and, and with good cause but one of the things that i came away from this film re-watching it again and watching it knowing we were doing the podcast um was 
damn, I would have loved to have seen more Lazenby. I know it works so well because it's a point in time, but I'd have loved to have seen more Bond films with him because there's just something in there that, yes, he's not brilliant, but the the something that he brings to the part is very different than any other Bond at all. And I just enjoy him. And he looks the part. Physically, he is, he is Bond. And there's elements that were brought in. You probably would need Peter Hunt to do do other films with him as well, because even if their relationship wasn't great. But I I would have loved to have seen more Lazenby films. I would have been so fascinated as to where they took the franchise. Um, uh, you know, I, I could never imagine that had Lazenby stuck on that the next film would have been anything like Diamonds of Forever, for example. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, that's that's the thing about it, isn't it? But but then again, what would he have done when when Chris Wood came to the franchise? I mean, that, I mean, I just these, these things. I'm not, I, I'm not sure if I grand. want to start thinking about these sort of things because I, I, I mean, these are the sort of ideas that you have, and then and then some, someone then you wake up one one day and and someone has changed your medi- your medication and everything's fine. It's um, I oh no I I the, I think why it's so warmly remembered is because this is a dead end. It it is it is a branch line on on the on on the franchise, and what we said last week uh, last episode about the about Dimes Are Forever when we when we reevaluated Dimes Are Forever we saw it for for what it was. Well, personally, I I reevaluated and said, well, if this is the sequel to 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 um you only live twice then it works perfectly as a sequel to on a magic secret service it's an abomination but <laughs> if, if if you look at this as uh, as the laserby film as as a as, as a branch line as as how bond could be an an option for it an alt- this is like an alternative this is our own window in, into an alternative reality isn't it this this yeah. is what it is. This is when we're talking about counterfactuals and and what what could have happened. We've got one. We've actually got one that we can watch, and and it's brilliant because of that. Uh, and and yet, time has a way of healing itself, and and dimes are forever. <laughs> is this this horrible sea change that 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 we see uh, that that they refer to in science fiction novels, new wave science fiction, to say that yes, well the the timeline will fix itself. You you, you just watch, <laughs> and it does. And, and yeah, this is it. You know, no matter what you do to it, it'll just keep bouncing back again. <laughs> yeah, I, Terry, I, I can imagine that. Um, I, I like to imagine that you're probably a man who has spent many hours considering where this could have got this branch line could have ended up. Well, when I found out that, that Lazenby had been offered a 10 movie contract and he turned it down, that blew my mind because I thought what we would have had is that we'd have had because the, the, the plan was was that the final scene of Honor Majesty's Secret Service would be actually the opening sequence of Diamonds Are Forever, which would then go on to be a revenge movie, with directed by Peter Hunt. That was Peter Hunt's idea anyway. Now, obviously, that's not what happened. And it may well have been, even if George Lazenby had stayed, that may not have been what happened, because there was a certain... There wasn't a great critical review of this, of, of critical reception of this film at the time. It might well be that Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman may have decided to take a different direction anyway. But if we if if we consider what might have happened, um, if George Lazenby had decided to stay and had taken the right advice, in my opinion, and decided to stay, I'm sure we would have seen him develop as an actor. 
over time. I think he would have certainly have improved. Um, I think he was young enough, and I think he was keen enough to be able to 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 to, to work harder to be able to, to to develop his his skills. We could conceivably have seen an amazing sequel to this movie in Diamonds Are Forever, and then sending the franchise off on a creative line that we don't see really until, frankly, the Daniel Craig movies, which is much more downbeat. Uh, and again, using that term again, a lot more emotional depth uh, to the movies instead. But instead, what we did was we went, yeah, no, we're going to go with the full Roger. And Sean, Sean Connery showed the way and then Roger picked up and, and we got all of that. And we wouldn't have had Christopher Wood. We wouldn't have had The Spy Who Loved Me. We wouldn't have Moonraker. And that is too awful to think about. Yeah. So... It, it it's 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 good that this movie in a it's good and bad that this movie's franchise didn't didn't branch off completely. It's only a variant rather rather than the main timeline, and we can celebrate it there. But but, but I think it's important not to not to, we have to be careful not to ghettoize the film, you know, not to say oh look it's a standout film because we can it it, it is it, it is that's true. But it is a James Bond movie. It is an authentic James Bond movie based on an authentic James Bond story. And it's one of the best ones that there is. It's just delivered to us and presented to us in a manner that we're not likely to see it, that we haven't seen again. Or, or maybe I think the Daniel Craig people might look at on a Majesty's Secret Service and maybe find something to relate to in there. But I don't know. I'd have to watch those Daniel Craig movies a lot more before before I form an opinion about that. But I wonder tonally, I guess. I, I have a I have an opinion and a hot take here. In Go for that, it. Um, Graham, I think there is a sequel to um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, or there is a logical sequel in my mind in terms of the film it potentially could have been, and that film is Licensed to Kill. That's I think the most logical sequel that I and obviously the space in there and everything else. But if there was a a what Terry has described that revenge movie, um, if there was a film that was going to be made by Peter Hunt post um, on a Majesty's Secret Service. I think it could have been a, a, a 70s version that wouldn't have been that far away from something like License mm-hmm. to Kill. I'd forgotten about License to Kill, actually, to be fair. Yeah, all right. License to Kill, but with a screenplay by Chris Wood. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Partridge. No, let's, let's, not, let's, not, <laughs> let's not get Partridge about all of this. <laughs> <laughs> now think about it. Think about it, Terry. I'm like, just, just, just let it, let it, let it mellow. Let it mellow. And, and let, let the idea just. <laughs> Listeners should know that Graham is actually lying back on his bed, talking into a dictaphone. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it's, it, it's there, is it? But no, no, you're right. You're right, Terry. It, it, I, I'm not trying to ghettoize the film because I, I also think that that so much has has sprung from it as well. I mean, was, mm. beyond all the ski stuff, because basically, whenever you see snow in a film, after all right, it's just because they got uh, Billy Bogman back in because he's so brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and and they say, no, we need this guy on pretty much every other film we make from now on because <laughs> he's just amazing. Uh, and uh, and and yes, and, and if you're interested, uh, listeners here, Billy Bogner did make his own films, and I really suggest you uh, you you, you uh, try and catch, catch hold of some of them. Terry, 
<laughs> if, if we've sat through one, then they will too. <laughs> oh, fire, ice, and dynamite, um, and uh, we'll never forgive the guy who organised more fest for uh, for choosing that one. That was that was a piece of crap. That one, it really was. <laughs> Albeit with some good stunt work, it's got yes. to be said. <laughs> um, so, Graham, there, there's one other thing which we've. I, there's, there's so many. I think we could have probably, um, probably easily cover two, three hours worth of on a Majesty's Secret Service in a podcast. Um, I'm not sure whether um, the podcasting world would be quite ready for that. But um, one area again that we we've only briefly touched on, um, and, and you mentioned it earlier on when we were talking about the casting and Danary is just the element of any bond which is essential, which is the villainry. And to me, to my mind, if you're looking for a Blofeld, yes, some people will say Pleasance. For me, Telly Savalas is my definitive Blofeld. And if there was only ever one actor to play Blofeld, I think I would have liked it to have been Telly Savalas. Certainly. So he's... His portrayal of, of of Blofeld, or his portrayal of of a bad guy, I mean, he doesn't even seem that bad at any stage in this film. He's just the just he's just another guy. He's just the guy who is who is running this allergy clinic. But I was I would say if if I ever saw anyone holding a cigarette the way he does, oh. <laughs> then oh. I would instantly know <laughs> that they are fundamentally evil, aren't they? I used to I occasionally would try and hold my cigarettes when I smoked I used to try and hold my cigarettes like that but I just felt too self-conscious doing it and uh, felt a bit silly doing it but uh, but I love the way he holds his cigarettes and he gets away with it doesn't he he was I know <laughs> like it's just like it's the way I like cupping it in his hand and then just like positioning it holding his jaw aloft and then positioning it and it's like that's just so. I mean, how do you do that? Anybody else does that? Looks stupid. Well, it's, uh, it's, but... Exactly. He 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 smokes like he's eating an oyster. That's, what, that's how he smokes. It's like <laughs> it's exactly the same action. It's like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that if Mrs. Blofeld existed, she would be a deeply happy woman. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you wanted us to say about Telly Savalas, Gary? <laughs> I mean, it did this like like on a Majesty's Secret Service, it went in directions I was not expecting it to go. <laughs> Much like Telly Savalas does, I suppose. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, let, let's just say to me that the man he doesn't even have that much to do but he just exudes charisma in every single scene that he's in and when you get to what i would say the, the climax is not um like the big attack the climax is the little two-hander scene between diana rick and telly savalas and at that point you just go you can stop the movie now i am I, i'm happy I, I don't care what happens after this this has just been <sighs> masterclass yeah, I mean you're right about that. The actual the, the bobsleigh chase is 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 pretty underwhelming actually by com- by comparison to the rest of the movie. And, and the two hander between Diana Rigg and Telly Savalas, the two best actors in the movie, the two the two actors that really lift this movie, 
quite rightly get one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. <laughs> well, you know, James Bond is not actually in it. Um, he's hanging around, ligging around in a helicopter uh, uh, up there. The thing to, um, I think, to, to re-emphasize Graham's point, Telus Valles is a functioning, uh, uh, Blofeld is a functioning human being with interpersonal and business and, 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 and skills and social skills. No, he's not this overly excessively theatrical, you know, sort of like this organization does not tolerate failure kind of way. You know, I mean, he is a he's a he's a CEO, you know, I mean, he's a boss. I mean, he's all he's a he's a, he's, a, he's a proper person living in the, on in the proper world and he's able to interact with people. But you always felt previous blow. The previous blow fell was too. Well, both previous. How many both were there be up to this point? Yeah, because they've all been these shadowy figures, sort of like sitting behind desks, sort of like you know dispensing, you know, you know, capital justice on on, on their minions, and 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 it's cartoonish and 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 not and not real. And Telesavalis is is very very real. He's also a huge man, and 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 brutish. He's got massive hands, and he and 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 there's there's when he's when it's time for him to be menacing um then he is menacing and the manner with which he talks about hammond you know who's the 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 the, the agent who's who he who he has killed and is hanging like a waxwork style beautiful script as well mm. and beautifully delivered and how chilling and how murderous he is we see the other the other side of him and it's I mean, but more than just a valise it's just the, the characterization i think is just a lot more skillful more rounded and even his demands you know, the personal nature of his demands. I mean, it's not necessarily, I want to conquer the world. It's the sort of, you know, I want to retire to polite society. You know, it's like, I want to take my social skills and, and be able to, and not have to live on top of a mountain, you know, <laughs> you know, any anymore, you know. I mean, it, and, and there's something really real and, and honest and genuine about those, about that, that again, elevates this movie because there's just, it's just there's so much depth that these people are, are almost real. And it's fantastic, and he's brilliant. He is that he is the comfortably the best Blofeld. I mean, I, I we've had a Blofeld conversation, so let's not go into it because we've I think we agreed that Teddy Savalas was comfortably the best. But the only person I think who could have come closest was Christoph Waltz, who just ended up descending into sort of like cartoonish sort of like villainry, uh, sadly, which is a shame. And, and Christoph Waltz is a better actor than that. Mm. And there, there is, with a one slight um, diversion before we get back onto Bond, but I would suggest there is one role that Telly Savalas should have been born to play, and it's a crying shame he never got to play that role, and that is Lex Luthor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, interesting that you say that. I mean, the Lex Lu- modern Lex Luthor, I guess, modern interpretation of Lex Luthor. I think contemporary 60s Lex Luthor, I think he would have, I don't think it would have worked personally, but uh, but I know I get exactly what you're saying. I get exactly what you're saying. That boardroom CEO that is just a massive supervillain and, and Zavallis has, has basically, as you say, he's created it there. He's the organisation. He's perfectly happy to to get his hands dirty and, and lead the lead his company into the um, into the share of villainry that they should be without necessarily executing them. But my God, you would not want to get on the wrong side of him at all if you were called into his office for a polite chat. Well, this, this yeah. is what, what makes him so accessibly evil because he is that the 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 evil that we see every day he is the guy who is allowed to operate in polite society he he is this close to being invited to the best parties he is 
going to be seen as someone who is a part of of the establishment. Uh, and, and he gets that close to it in this film. And and you, you can see, yeah, if Blofeld was real, he, he, he wouldn't be hiding on top of a Swiss mountain. He would be on your telly. He would be asked for his opinion on matters, whether we wanted he'd it be, or not. He'd, he'd be building spaceships made out of penises and flying up in them. Yeah, yes. yes. Or made not made out of, shaped like penises. No, and then, no, and, and, no, and Terry, you were right the or first time. Out. I think you, you were definitely right the first time. <laughs> he's got he's got that kind of... He, he, I mean, he's probably... He's that Strongberg, he's that Drax. He's got that kind of billionaire, supervillain kind of thing going on, only he's just like much, much better. And yeah, and he is the ultimate, he's, he's as relevant now as a villain as he's ever been, probably, mm. because of the kind of people, you know, not wishing to be political, but 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 the, there are there are people out there who are, are extremely powerful um, and, and effectively, you know, you know, they, they are some of the most powerful and richest people in the world and they can do anything that they like and, and have been compared to James Bond villains in the past. And he's extremely or is extremely relevant, I think, uh, villain now on the Manchester Secret Service Blofeld. Mm. It's, there's just so many things that, that come together perfectly in this movie. Um, so let's just talk for a minute as we, we kind of get towards the end of the film. And this is almost, I think, a... It, we've we've touched on it a little bit in the, it's that that kind of branch line that goes off, but um, he's when we look off. at sub, he's, <laughs> he's branched off. He's branched off with a train made of penises. I may edit that out. <laughs> <Damn you>. um, <laughs> but when you you look at um, on a Majesty Secret Service as a whole, and, and Graham, when we we quite often get into at the end of it talking about you know how it's influenced popular culture and and the legacy of it, and a lot of them are really kind of easy to pin down because on a Majesty Secret Service is, is such a kind of unique one-off, one that I think properly insults men to a certain extent probably try to to erase from their minds for a little bit, and then has, has kind of come back into into fashion, but. What is the legacy of, of this film, not just on sort of Bond as a whole, but a cinema as a whole? I think the legacy of this, and I think it's really, really important, is that it allows people who, are, who like film but don't necessarily like Bond, it gives them an in. It gives them an in on on Bond, and I think that 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 anchors the the whole franchise to to a, a wider world, and I think it 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 is it, it allows people in, I think, which which is a good thing because uh, there are things about this film that that are uh, that don't even get parodied, although the although. Lazenby in his kilt and his frills that that is a bit bring out the bell it is a bit like you almost expect like Stanley Baker to, to, to <laughs> I, I'd love to hear Stanley Baker say do I make you horny it's uh, put it that way it's, <laughs> it's uh, it, it, yeah it, it, so I think as far as what this has given the rest of the the whole the spy genre or film in gen- general maybe it's it's just the fact that it, it is a different way of doing bond i think this killed bond parodies personally i think it killed them for about a decade 
because I don't think that, that that you could parody after that. It, it, I don't think it's any coincidence that the the, the Bond parodies finished in the, in the late sixties. I, I I think it's and people will correct me here. I'm sure they will, but it, I, I I think that 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 this changed it in many ways, and I think it allowed the Bond film to go on on this sort of more campish sort of route. I think they Diamonds Are Forever was a a, a a huge success when it came out. Completely different to 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 what happened to to uh, uh, On Imagine Secret Service, and of course, time has not been been kind to that film. But time has been very kind to On Imagine Secret Service. We can go all we like on counterfactuals and everything on the on the try to change what had happened and what direction would have happened, where, where things would have gone, but. I know I don't want to say to say to ghettoize it, but I think it's because it stands alone, because it's not governed by what's come before and what's what's followed it. I think it's just a perfect point in time, and I love it. And I think if it brings other people to the party, then so much the better. I I, I adore this film. It is a, a absolutely fantastic film. Um, Terry, I'll actually give you an option on how you want to answer this one. You can either talk a bit further about what you think legacy is, or we can just go back to the start and you can just now pick out a few or more of your favourite scenes <laughs> and, and wax lyrical on them. Um, maybe I'll just do both. Um, I mean, yeah, it, the, the its profound legacy is the fact that it does elevate the the franchise. This becomes a this becomes a grown up movie. It's a romance story. It's a, 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 as much as it is an action film. Um, with really good, real fleshed-out characters, um, and and there hadn't really been a Bond film like that before. Um, it, it's I think it works better in some respects because because of George Lazenby because he he was able to bring because he had he was required to bring a degree of emotional depth to the character that might have been a bit jarring with Connery, but I think that the only real sadness in many respects is that. What I've learned from my rewatch of the Connery movies and the reevaluation of the Connery movies is just how good Sean Connery was as an actor in, during this time. Yeah. Um, and 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 I have no doubt that he would have nailed this movie um, had he been into it, but he wasn't. He'd had enough of James Bond by this point, and he didn't want to do this anymore. And it might well be that it could have he could have just phoned it in like he did with You Only Live Twice, and that would have been a tragedy because it's a good film. But but so you you can't it's it's probably better to not think about what would have happened had Sean done this film because part of the else he he could have done it when Thunderball when they did Thunderball or he could have done it with when he did the only of twice but it wouldn't necessarily have been Peter Hunt it wouldn't have been the same film it wouldn't have been 1969 and the 60s was a decade that changed so massively when you think about this movie's appearance the visuals in this film not a Ken Adam film a Sid Kane film which is as good but like the 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 fashions the styles you know the the aesthetic the massive amounts of purple in the in the in the casino the 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 m's green velvet jacket dinner jacket you know i mean so lavish and heading into the 1960s and away from that into the 1970s and away from that from that much more sort of like austere kind of 1960s style uh, much more lavish and it captures it so beautifully because everyone again everyone is just like doing it so well and we get the opportunity to see James Bond in a way that we rarely do and that's vulnerable um not just 
physically vulnerable but emotionally vulnerable as well and that's a tremendous gift for James Bond fans because we don't get it very often and it's why this movie is is not just a good film for people to watch it's also a good film for James Bond fans to watch and it is a proper authentic James Bond adventure um, closest to the Fleming novels and yeah I mean you do think about what could have happened afterwards had it gone in that direction um, and then we would have been denied all of those great Roger Moore years and that is, is difficult to accept so we, I think we can be comfortable with the way that it, that it went out um, in the end apart from the else because there's nothing we can do about it no it is what it is His, history is ruled on it Deep fakes are five years away, so like, come on, we can go for a whole films and that, and we can recast them all. Yeah, oh God, that would be awful, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, terrible. I, I think I can safely say, and I think I can speak for all of us as well. And I, I would like to think that I speak for the listeners here in saying, obviously, there is so much love for the film, um, and I think that uh, you're, you're both right that. Uh, a world that the spy who loved me does not exist is not a world that I would particularly <laughs> want to inhabit at all. Um, I think we've we've come to a very natural conclusion there. Um, obviously, with some podcasts and sometimes when we're looking at the films, we're super critical. None of that here. Um, you may have your criticisms. Yes, every film is not perfect. But uh, we will hear nothing against On Her Majesty's Secret Service. It is and remains and, and probably still will remain a high point of bond. <clears throat> and there's a lot of things that uh, you know, have to do a lot of work to get anywhere near it. Um, so no time to die. You've got a lot to live up to. In fact, oh, yeah. No Time to Die has got a lot to live up to anyway, because Casino Royale is also probably one of the best entries into into the Bond franchise as well. But that's a, a podcast for another time. Um, we have now reached the end of the 60s and, and the Connery, um, Connery and uh, Lazenby era. Um, so we will obviously be moving in a slightly different direction. We have No Time to Die to look forward to coming up, um, assuming that I'm actually able to get to the cinema to watch it from, uh, from my place in lockdown Sydney at the moment. And who knows when we may return. But you know what? I can always take a little trip to Goldburn and uh, visit the uh, visit the early origins of George Lazenby. Maybe we'll just kind of do next. The next one won't be a, a podcast. We might just do a Michael Palin style travel documentary down to down to Goldburn and uh, with some whimsical notions coming off the back of that. Um, you you might want to take him on a trip to Goldburn. <laughs> Goldburn. The ancestral home of the Lazenbys. <laughs> Jump in you, you can go down to Goldburn. <laughs> You're flaming Goliath. Yes, if he is our man, I'd like to get him away from Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> what will you be drinking? What do you be drinking, Bond? Slab of Forex, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and hence we get into the Australian tropes. Um, thank you very much for, for um, sitting with us, listeners. Um, if you are listening to this and you haven't recently watched On a Match to Seek Your Service, just please don't go do. It is the probably one of the best couple of hours you'll spend your evenings doing. Um, but until then, just remains for me to say thank you very much to Terry. Uh, thank you, Graham. Um, thank you, Gary. And thank you to Graham. <laughs> thank you very much, Gary. And uh, thank you to the dear listeners. The Odd Job Pod will return um, and we very much look forward to it. Until then, we're off to uh, maybe book ourselves on the moon on the uh, slightly phallic-shaped rocket. Until then, goodbye. 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 <laughs>